You may or uh, may not know this about me. I'm a, I'm a very big uh, music fan. I, I listen. Uh, if, if you come into the church during the week and I'm working on sermons or I'm working on whatever, if I'm at my desk, I almost always have my headphones on. That's partly for so I'm not distracted, but partly because I just listen to music constantly all the time. And so as I, as I think back on things in my life, there's certain songs that jump out. I can listen to a song and remember very specific times in my life because memories are tied with the way our brain works and certain things. And I just remember certain stuff a lot of ways through music. And uh, this week I was listening to a song uh, that my wife and I listened to a lot when she was pregnant with our first son, Asher. And it's a song called One Step Closer. And as, as you listen to the songs, that's really just what the, the chorus is, that we're one step closer. One step closer to knowing is what it says over and over. And so we used to listen to that song a lot, and we'd talk about it, and we'd, we kind of made a joke of it. And we'd listen to it almost every day because the joke was we're one step closer to seeing what Asher looks like. Right to meeting our son and knowing him. And so we'd say that every day and we'd listen to that song. We'd kind of laugh about it and we'd joke about it. And then uh, maybe a year later, I was listening. Uh, I read an article about that particular song and come to find out the guy that wrote the song wrote it about his father who had cancer and he was dying. And uh, his father really went through a crisis of faith and he was telling a friend about it. And the friend said to this guy, he said, yeah, well, he's going through this crisis of faith right now. He said, well, he's one step closer to knowing and so what the song really is about is our mortality and, and, and being one step closer to uh, facing what's beyond the grave and, and no longer walking by faith, but actually seeing and, and knowing. And so as I listened to that song this week, uh, it just happened to come on. And I was thinking about what we're talking about this morning. And, and that's the truth for each and every one of us. As we got out of bed this morning, you are one step closer to knowing. And it doesn't matter if you're five or you're. 85 or anywhere in between, whatever it may be, that that's the truth of all of us, whether it's uh, in death or in the return of Christ that we're going to talk about this morning. The truth is we are one step closer to knowing each and every day. And uh, that's the inevitable truth of all of life, that that's that's what happens. Uh, The scriptures talk about it. For example, in James chapter four, it talks about that our life is merely just a mist. Uh, So James says it. We're here one day and gone the next that it's just even a hundred years is just nothing in the scope of eternity. And so, uh, or, or in first Corinthians 15, Paul talks about how we're perishing and we're, we're wasting away. We're kind of winding down. And, and, uh, when we start to talk about those things, and even as I mention that and I say, we're one step closer to knowing a lot of times I go, uh, I don't really want to talk about that. And in our society, we do a lot of things to kind of push that to the side and pretend that that doesn't exist. And that's not the reality. And, and so a lot of times what happens is we just ignore it or we pretend or we just kind of move on and just don't really address that. And so this morning, though, what we're doing is we've been we're, we're coming to the end of our our study, our, our overview, this, this series we've gone through all year, walking our way through the big picture of scripture, of all the, the story of all throughout scripture. And what we've been seeing all the way through is the way God's moving and what he's doing and the way he's bringing redemption and restoration and how that works and how that's coming to a head and how it comes in Jesus and now forward in Jesus's second coming when all of it will be made new. And so when Paul writes these different letters, what we've been saying the last few weeks as we've been in the epistles, the letters in the New Testament, that in a lot of ways, those are the explanation that Paul's writing now to different churches that are putting their faith in Jesus and they're worshiping God through Christ and they're excited about it, but they have questions and they, they get off on certain things. And so Paul writes these letters to address these different things along the way. And so we've been doing that for a few weeks. And so 
we were in Hebrews and we talked about the difference between uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament and how those go together and how Paul explains that. Last week, my brother Jeremiah was here and he took us through Philippians 1 and to live as Christ and to die as gain and how to deal with hard times and different things and how we deal with so much of life with that view. And then this morning as we get to 1 Thessalonians, there's this question hovering over this letter that Paul writes. And it has to do with uh, when Christ returns and, and what, what Paul refers to as the dead in Christ, those that are, have put their faith in Jesus and he hasn't returned yet and they've died. Well, what happens to them? Right. That, that's a very logical question. And the people are going, they're asking these questions. In fact, some people are going, did we miss the second coming? Is it possible that Jesus came and we just missed out on it? And so they really have these concerns and these questions. And so Paul writes this letter to answer and to explain some of these things. And so this morning we're going to look at it partly through the eyes of those in the church of Thessalonica that Paul's writing to, but also in our own eyes, because we're very much in the same uh, time period that they are. We're in that time between Christ's coming and his resurrection and his ascension and his second coming. We're sitting in the same space that they are. We're separated by almost 2,000 years, but we're also in the same uh, time frame, the same period that they were. And so what Paul says is very relevant for us today. And so we're going to look at that and look at what his answers are. And there's just a couple of things I want us to ask, and then we'll see how he answers it here. But before we do, let's pray, and then we will look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and the beginning of 5 together. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is eternal and that uh, we can trust it, that you've inspired it, that you've given us answers to these things. We do pray this morning, just as Paul says, that we'd be that we would encourage one another with these words this morning, that we'd be excited about the future that you have in store for us and that we would uh, be quick to encourage one another, but also to go forth and just to tell uh, our world that we live in what is coming and what you aim to do and what you will bring about. And uh, we pray that we would just be overjoyed with it this morning. We pray that your spirit would move in this place to show us and press it upon our hearts and our minds. We pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. So there's three questions, three things here that I want us to think about. The first the first one is this this question that's on their hearts is they're there. What about the dead in Christ? What about those that have passed on? What happens to them? Secondly, what about the second coming? They want, they're wanting to know maybe they missed it. We might just be asking today, what is that like? What does that mean? What is Jesus going to do? So first, the dead in Christ. Second, the second coming. And then third, based on what Scripture tells us and what Paul tells us, how are we to live in light of that? Because he does give us some answers and he does tell us some things. So that's what we're going to do. If you want to follow along in the Bibles like this, the Pew Bibles, it's on page 641. And if you need a Bible, those are free for you to take. If you need one, please take it. And it's yours. And uh, we'd just love for you to have it and be reading it and following along with us as we look at it. Because we're going to really look at these verses in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And so as we begin this morning, what about the dead in Christ? That's our first question, our first thought. And I want you just to look at verses 13, 14, and 15 of chapter 4. So 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13, what Paul says. He says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who fall asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. And I'm just going to stop right there at the beginning as Paul first addresses the dead in Christ, those that have gone on, 
those that the people of Thessalonica are worried have missed the second couple. What about them? And so Paul, the first thing he tells them, he says, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who are notice what he says. He says they're asleep. And so Paul says they're asleep. He doesn't say they're dead. He doesn't say they perish, that they've ceased to exist. He says they're asleep. And that's that's the phrase that Paul uses. And so when we first read that and we read here and he talks about them being asleep and you, you come to this, you kind of go, well, that's it's a little bit vague. He really doesn't tell us a whole lot there other than he is saying they're not dead and they haven't ceased to be. But he just says they're asleep. And that's really kind of all he tells us right here. And so if we're just left with with first Thessalonians, we go, well, wait a second. What exactly does that tell us? They're just asleep. Does that just mean it's a long nap until Christ returns and that's it? And and so uh, it doesn't tell us a whole lot just right here. But I want to add to this a little bit and just go back to even and it's a great title. What we talked about uh, last week is Jeremiah was here and he walked us through Philippians one. Philippians one actually fills in some of the holes here and it helps us a little bit. And so let me just read to you from Philippians one, just a couple verses that we looked at. Last week, Philippians one verses twenty one to twenty three says this. So Paul says for for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that's what we talked about last week. That picture of live Christ, die gain. Just that clear cut picture in Philippians one. But then he says, uh, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for labor for me. Yet I shall uh, yet yet which I shall choose. I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. So he's hard pressed between dying and the gain of Christ and living and being fruitful in his ministry. And so then he says, uh, my desire is to to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. And so what Paul tells us, you know, when we take the two together, we take first Thessalonians and we take what he says in Philippians one. He says they're asleep. That means they haven't dead. They're they're not just dead or cease to exist. They're just asleep is the the image he uses. But then in Philippians one, he tells us that those that have gone on have departed are now with Christ. And notice what he says in Philippians one for that is far better. And so what we have in Scripture, and I don't want to step over and speculate and say a bunch of things that Scripture doesn't say. But what Scripture does say is the dead in Christ are asleep and that they are with Christ and that it is far better. And so we can rest in that. We can encourage one another in that fact that those that have gone on that were putting their faith in Christ are now with Jesus and it is far better. And so we don't know exactly what that looks like or how that plays out right now in this time before Christ returns. But what we do know is that it's far better. And so when we grieve and we're sorry and we're upset over friends and loved ones that knew Jesus and loved him and have gone on, uh, we grieve oftentimes for ourselves and for what death means and those things, but not for them. Because they are far better because they are with Christ and they see him in their fullness. And so I did, that, that's what it tells us about the dead in Christ. But I want you to notice something else he shows us here. Just very practical. Look at verse 13 again. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, for those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And I want you to notice what Paul says here. Very practical application on, on grieving and what it means when others have passed on and how we look at that. And he says, don't grieve as those that don't have hope. And I want you to notice what he's saying because he doesn't say don't grieve. He doesn't make a blanket statement that you don't grieve as a Christian. He says you just don't grieve as someone who has no hope. So really what Paul's telling us is that we grieve, but we grieve as ones who have hope. That there's something else 
There's something better beyond, and it's not just it ceased to be. That there's something much greater than that. And so when we say things, uh, you think about grieving with no hope. I think about the language we use today in, in our society and in our culture is things like, well, death is natural. It's a beautiful cycle. Uh, today, it's very popular to say things like you, you die and you go to the grave and you become fertilizer and then you're part of the trees. And so you're still with us and you're still living. If you've never heard that before, that's that's actually getting to be pretty common. And it's so beautiful and it's so wonderful to me. That's grieving as someone who has no hope. I don't want to be the tree. I don't want to be the fertilizer for the tree. Right? That's not the hope that scripture talks about. In a lot of ways, I think that's the grieving as one who has no hope. We're just grasping at straws. Oh, at least we'll be part of the trees or we'll we'll go back into the ground or those things. And Paul says, don't grieve like that. He says, you grieve with one who has hope. You know, the, the picture in scripture, and I want us to make sure that we see this when people say, oh, it's just natural and death is good and it's this and it's that and it's the circle of life. I'm going to tell you, biblically, it's not. Death is not natural. It's not the way God created it to originally be. In fact, scripture says the wages of sin is death. Death comes because sin enters the world through one man and spreads to all men. And that's why there's death. And so it's not a natural beautiful thing. And so when we talk about grieving over death, we grieve and we have ache in our hearts when someone passes on and we're saddened by it and we're frustrated. And that's because that's not the way it was supposed to be. It's not the way the original design was. And there's a deep heartache when we lose a loved one. And I don't have to argue you into that. You know that. We all know that when we've lost loved ones, that there's a deep Heartache there, but which, by the way, is a signpost pointing to what the scripture tells us, the hope that we have. That it's not the right thing. It's not the natural thing. It's not the way it ends. And it's there to point us to the to the reality of our sin. Death, the wages of sin is death. And it points us to that it's not right. But yet what Paul tells us when we consider the dead in Christ and what that means is we're to grieve, but we're to grieve as those that have hope. And we grieve as those that have hope because death has been defeated in the resurrection. Right? When Jesus went to the cross and he took our sin of those who put their faith in him and he takes it on him and he pays for that and he bears it. And then he offers a way to walk right through death. I love the image. I've heard it said he Jesus blew a hole in the back of death and we can now walk through it. And it's not the end. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And so death is not the end. So when we consider the dead in Christ as it's that they've not just ceased to be, but they are now with Christ. And that's not even the end of it. And he tells us more. But that takes us to the second part about Jesus second coming. Because the people in Thessalonica were worried that the dead in Christ, yes, they're gone and we're not really sure what happened to them, but they're going to miss the second coming. And Paul says, no, that's not right. They're just asleep. And then in Philippians, he says they're with Christ and that's better. And then he says, Jesus is going to return. And look what he says here. Uh, Go back to 15. For we declare to you by a word of the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not proceed those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 
Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so what he begins to tell us is is that the dead in Christ are not going to miss out on anything. When Jesus comes and returns, the dead in Christ are going to rise first and then we're going to join them and they're not going to miss a thing. And he says, so encourage one another with this. They're not missing out. In fact, if we got to look at it real clearly, they're better off than we are because they're with Christ right now, which it says is far better. And that they're not going to miss anything when Jesus comes because they're going to rise and they're going to be there with us. And so you have this beautiful picture of of what happens is when Christ returns, that the dead in Christ haven't missed anything. You know, then you, you look at verse 16 in the biblical picture and it begins to whether we pass on and we die before Jesus returns or he returns while we're still living. Here's the, the truth of what happens. And you look at verse 16 and he says, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise. And the, then we who are alive will be caught up together with them and them in the clouds to meet the Lord. Right? The picture of the second coming is you haven't missed it and there's no way you're going to miss it. Because when he comes, there's going to be a cry of the Lord in verse 16. It says three things for the Lord himself will descend with a cry of command. I, love, I just I feasted on that verse this week. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me. And then he's going to cry out. And you're going to know it. That's my savior. Hear him audibly hear him. And he's going to come and he's going to come with a voice crying out. And then it says, and he will descend from heaven in the voice of the archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And you're going to, there's no missing it. Right? So they were worried they'd miss it. And Jesus, uh, Paul says, you didn't miss it. There's no way you're going to miss this. Right. Jesus says the same thing. in actually in Matthew 24, he says when he comes, it'll be just as lightning flashes from east and shines and is seen as far as the west. So will be the son of man, the coming of the son of man be. Jesus says, you're not going to miss it. It's going to light up the sky and you're going to see it and you're going to know. And so when Jesus returns, there, there will be no missing it. No secret. It'll be there for all to see and it'll be so clear the thought of of just him returning and will be uh, notice what it says in verse 17. Yes, the dead in Christ rise and then we rise. And then verse 17, it says we who are alive, who are left will be caught up. And notice how he says that we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Right. The dead in Christ and us together will be called up together to see him and will be there together. That's the language Paul uses. The dead in Christ and those that are still living, all those that have put their faith in Jesus and will be together. I was thinking about this this week, just in the time that that I've gone to Church of the Apostles in the last couple of weeks. Don Smating is going to be there. And Charlie Salter. My brother, Jed. They're going to be there with us together. And we're going to know him and we're going to see him and we're going to hear him. And he says, Paul says, encourage one another. They're not missing anything. Not only that, you're going to get to enjoy this together. Those that are in Christ are going to be called out and we're going to be together and we're going to meet the Lord in the air. 
There's this really uh, beautiful picture that Paul uh, crafts for us and he tells for us right here in uh, first uh, in, in Thessalonians here. And the way he says it, uh, this beautiful picture, uh, he says, we'll be called out and we'll meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll always be with the Lord. And he talks about the sound of the trumpet and we'll rise and we'll be called up. And then there's this picture, there's this language that Paul uses. And I made just brief mention of this in our Sunday school this morning. We've been talking about the way to interpret scripture and the way to look at the language and what it says and all those things. And Paul uses a very specific language here that his audience would have known exactly what he was talking about. But we miss to a degree because it's separated by 2000 years. Right. But but the language Paul talks about when he talks about the trumpet and the being called out together and and meeting him in the air and all these things it, the language and exactly the way he lays this out is the same language when conquering soldiers came back. Right. They came back from battle like Roman that all the soldiers would come out. They'd go on a conquest and they'd be gone for years and they'd go out and they'd come back. And what happens is when they came back, they'd go and they'd camp outside the city by a mile or two and they'd send word into the Senate. And they'd say, we're back and we've conquered and we've won. And this is what's happened. And they would send the word forth and they would tell them. And so they would all gather together and then people would get excited about it. And then the word would get out and then they would tell them. And then uh, a day or two later, the trumpets would sound and everybody would get ready. And all the people would go out to meet them. They would go out to meet them and they'd go and they'd be there. And then they would all come in with the conquering king and, and the ones that had just conquered the things and they would have this celebration as they come back together. That's the language Paul uses. That we're called up in the air and then Jesus comes to set up his kingdom. His new heavens and his new earth and we're there with him to usher it in and the dead in Christ are there to see it and we're there along together and we get to see the whole thing unfolding and that's the exact language Paul uses here. This beautiful picture of being called up and ushering in the new creation. This beautiful picture of regeneration of all things. And so you get that picture here. And so what we have is the dead in Christ are asleep, but they're with Christ. And they're not going to miss anything. And when Jesus returns, no one's going to miss it because it's going to light up the sky and we're going to hear his voice. And he's going to call us up and he's going to usher in his new kingdom. And so that takes us to... to what we see here of, of uh, what about one last part of this before I move on to how we just apply this today. What about the timing of this? Because he starts to he addresses that at the beginning of chapter five. And we often like to think about that. Well, is it almost here? Is this the time? Is Jesus returning? Well, look what Paul says in chapter five, verses one through three. Now, concerning the times and season, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And so what Paul says is there's no reason for me to write anything about the time to you because nobody knows. And he says God, it's going to come like a thief in the night. And we're not sure. We don't know exactly what that's like. We don't know exactly when that's going to be. And, and, and I think Paul uh, alludes to that and he says it that way and he, he talks about that. He does talk about some of the signs. He says it'll be like labor pains. Pretty vivid picture. Uh, labor pains, they get closer and closer together and more and more intense as it gets closer. And there's this picture in scripture that that happens. 
I also think, too, that, uh, and we'll talk about why in just a second, that, that Jesus was purposely vague on this. He gave us kind of some leeway on how to, uh, is that exactly? Same thing with Paul. It'll be like this, but I'm not going to tell you the time because I don't know the time. And he says they'll get closer together. I think of, I, I know the language because my wife, but uh, the, the Braxton Hicks, have you ever heard, you know this, the Braxton Hicks are fake contractions. They get closer together and you think you might be having a baby and then they stop. And I, I think that's what's been happening throughout history. There's times where it gets really intense and we go, this is it. He's coming back. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's been, the people in, in Paul's day, 2000 years ago, that's what they were looking at. This is it. He's got to be coming back. This is the time. And Paul says, we don't know the time. We just know that this kind of happens like this, that it'll get very intense and it'll get real hard and then, then it'll come. You know, Jesus himself, and I think Paul even saying here, uh, don't, uh, when he says, uh, you have no need to have anything written to you. Well, we have Jesus addressing this very thing in Matthew's gospel. And he says, but concerning the day and the hour, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples. No one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the son, but the father only. Therefore, stay awake for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. Right? Jesus is very clear on this. Nobody knows. And Paul says the same thing. I don't really need to write to you on this because we're not sure. We don't know exactly when he's going to return. And so I want us to just finish here today with this. How do we respond in light of this? Right. That's kind of vague on when he's coming back and how do we live and how do we go forth and how do we live? Well, he tells us here, look at verses uh, four to ten, just the last few verses here. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief. Right. He says it's going to come like a thief in the night for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing and so he tells us the way that we're to look at it and the way we're to see it. He says, yes, it's going to come and you're not going to know the time. But I want you to notice the things the way he says it. He says, if you are in Christ and you've put your faith in him, there's no need to worry. But I also, and I want to just stop for just a second and look at this. How do we respond in light of this? I want to address if you are sitting here today and you're not sure about who Jesus is or, or what he means or what he came to do and you're kind of like ah you know i'll get to that i'll put that off don't because what he says here the way he does this the kind of the way he goes back and forth is he talks about how it'll come like a thief in the night and the connotation here context says that if you're not a if you are not a believer in jesus you haven't put your faith in him if you're not trusting in him for your salvation that when he returns it's going to be like a thief being caught red-handed that's the picture it'll become he's saying it'll come like a thief in the night but but you who are of faith that have put your faith in christ you don't have to worry about that because you walk in the light but what he's saying is those that are not christians that have not put their faith in jesus are not walking in the light and when that light gets shined on you it won't be a pretty picture because the picture that is there is that 
when Christ comes and he returns, you know, in Matthew 25, it says he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. That's the picture he uses. And he says, those that I know are going to stay there and I'm going to say, welcome and well done, my good and faithful servant. And those that don't trust me and don't put their faith in me, depart from me. I never knew you. And so that's the picture that's there, that if if you're clinging to I'm a pretty good person and oh he'll let me slide. You're not putting your faith in Christ when he returns. That's a scary, scary proposition. Because it'll be your darkness will now be in the light and all will be exposed and he will say, depart from me. And so so the way we respond to this, if you're waiting or you're putting that off or I'll get to that later or. I'm not really sure about that. My my word to you is repent and believe in Jesus and you will be saved. And you don't have to worry about the day. You then walk in the light and all things are exposed and that's okay because your sins have been taken by Christ. Now to you who are a Christian and claiming to be a Christian and seeking to follow Christ, there's a few things that he says for you to encourage you. And, And the first is don't stress over this. This is good news. Don't obsess over it. Don't make it how you spend all your time trying to figure out every little part of his timing and his plan. Because what we're called to do, it doesn't matter if he returns tomorrow or if he returns in a thousand years. You're called to do the same thing. You're to be faithful. You're to, as as Paul says here, to to put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of, of the hope of salvation. And you're to walk in faith and in love and caring for those around you. And that's the way we're to walk. And it doesn't really matter if that's tomorrow or a thousand years from now. We're called to be faithful in the same way and to encourage one another. There's nothing to fear. There's nothing to fear because he's already won. You know, I was was thinking about this this week as I sat there and uh, I knew I was going to find a way to work this into a sermon. So here it is. A couple weeks ago. Texas A&M beats Alabama in a football game, if you didn't know that. But Texas A&M beats them. And so I recorded the game, and it was a very close, intense game, and A&M wins at the very end on an interception. But now I go back and I rewatch parts of it. So the last couple of weeks, I just I watched the highlights, and I watched the interception at the end and all this stuff. And because of that, as I watch it, and Alabama gets down to the goal line right at the end, and it's fourth down and all these things, well, A&M gets an interception. And I know that. And so as I watch it, I'm not tense at all. I'm so excited. Oh, this is great. Watch this. They're going to intercept it. They're about to win. It's the same thing in the life of a Christian. We know the ending. And there's ups and downs, just like the football game. Oh, they're going to score. Oh, no, they're going to lose. They're going to do this. We don't know. We know the ending. It's like watching that game now recorded. I know exactly. I'm not. There's no stress when I watch the game now. Now, when I watched it live, it was a little different. But when I watch it now, it's totally different. I go, oh, this is great. This is going to be so good. Watch how this is going to happen and how it's going to. I don't know. And so it's the same thing as a Christian. What Paul's telling us here, Christ is going to come and he's going to usher in his new kingdom. And the dead in Christ are going to rise and we're going to be together with him forever. Now, there's a lot of things that may happen between now and then. But we know the end. And no matter how bad it gets or what it looks like or how we're struggling, we know the end. And so we can rest. And that leads us to the last part. I just want to want to show you. And I was trying to think of the best way to say it. But Paul says it better. If you look at verse 14, this is what you're freed to do when you know the end. When you know that Christ has won 
the victory and he's seated on his throne and he's returning and he's coming again. It frees you to then say, urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Seeing that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seeks to do the good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, praise Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. You see, when you know the end, when you know that Jesus has already won and he's coming again to reclaim his good creation, it frees you to be patient with all. It frees you to not repay evil for evil because you know Jesus is going to fix all of it in the end. And so I don't have to get hung up on those things. I can love people the way God's loved me, even when it doesn't seem to be working out, because I know it will work out. And so how we live in light of this truth is we don't wring our hands and go, is this it or is this the time or is this? No, we go out and we love people. And we proclaim the gospel and we proclaim what Jesus has done and what he's going to do. And we get to do so knowing that that's the end and we don't have to worry about any of it. Because he's going to do it. And so I I just end with that this morning. I just want to say just what Paul says there in verse 18 and then again in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Encourage one another with these words. We have a glorious future to come. And there's no reason for us to to let what's going on today interrupt that. We walk by faith and trust and love others and forgive others, pointing all along the way to Christ and what he's done. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the glorious picture that you paint for us here in 1 Thessalonians and the, the way that you... You tell us, we thank you for Matthew 24 and 25 and the way that you tell us that you are coming again. We thank you for the book of Revelation and that that you will return, that we can say, come quickly, Lord. We thank you for that hope that we have. We pray that we would rest in it each and every day, that we would walk humbly loving and forgiving and not repaying evil, but doing the things that you call us to do all along the way, trusting in the glorious future we have in Christ. We pray all of it in his precious name. Amen.